0: Welcome to North Beach from North Beach. I'm your host, Corey Luna, chatting with the people behind electronic music. Today we chat with Patrick McCarthy of Definitely Miami. He and I met by chance in L.A. at SynthPlex last month in March. And we were both chatting with Alan Howarth at his booth. And we had both kind of mentioned we had both put out our first albums, so... I asked if he would be interested in doing the podcast, and we finally got a chance to chat. He's out in L.A., and we get into his background a little bit and the influences and a lot of the equipment that he used on his album for Definitely Miami. Patrick,
1: hey Corey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. It's just, uh, just getting everything dialed in over here. <laughs> Very good, man. Um, I'm in a, a like a back, my back studio bedroom. I don't know if the service is super good, but it sounds okay.
0: Okay. Uh, you, what are you recording on?
1: Um, I just have a. Uh, I have a little. Uh, well, I have Pro Tools, but I have an Ableton Live set up. No, oh, that's good. And I have like uh, that's what I usually work in, and I have a Focusrite Sapphire Pro forty audio interface.
0: Nice, man. Yeah, I'm using a, a Focusrite Scarlett.
1: Yeah, yeah, those are good. Um, that's like the next up, the next step up, I believe, from the uh, series I have, which. I had another one and it died and then uh, an old bandmate of mine had the same model and he uh, let me borrow his for a while.
0: Nice. Yeah. For years, you know, I was using um, a keyboard controller as my audio interface for my for my studio and then last year my, my buddy Jeremy Cotta just gave me this Focusrite. I couldn't, I was so flabbergasted. It was really nice. Oh, wow. That. Yeah. Turned yeah, those really are...
1: Yeah, they're good. Um, I mean, I like the besides mine breaking. I I generally like. I have a scarlet, or one of those little two channel ones. I think it's called a scarlet two I O or something like that. I have one of those that I've just used to like carry around and stuff. But I mean, at some point, I'll I'm going to upgrade. I've I've had quite a number of interfaces over the years. But I I'll have to get something more professional at some point,
0: right? You know. Well, first I want to say, um, Patrick, again, thank you for doing my podcast North Beats. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's yeah. fun to talk about this kind of
0: stuff. Yeah, absolutely is. Yeah, it was really nice uh, meeting you at uh, Synthplex. That was really fun.
1: Yeah, that was a kind of a random run in, I guess. I'm.
0: Yeah, just by I'm chance.
1: A- yeah, just by chance. I mean, that's kind of what's fun about going
0: to those events, is just the people you are meet unexpectedly. Yeah. So, I was curious, did you did you get to sit on sit in on Alan Howarth's presentation that morning on uh was it he was talking about the the frequency of the human body?
1: I I did not hear that uh panel. Okay. Or the presentation.
0: All right. It was a really interesting thing of how he's actually done this whole study on there is you know a ter- particular um pitch for every part of the body going from the head all the way down to the toes, and he and it was basically mm-hmm. between like 424 and 440 hertz throughout the human body, and even if you tune music to those particular hertz, it actu- uh, frequencies it actually sounds more correct to the human ear. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a that's very scientific it's a very scientific talk about audio, and he, he gave out and he even showed us examples in uh, his presentation where he took like a Beatles song and a and a couple other different songs and uh, even like a Mozart song and showed you the original and then showed you one that's dialed into the right frequency of the human body and and the second one actually sounded more realistic. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean t- tuning is an interesting. Uh, that has an interesting history i think i i mean there the 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 a440 that is the agreed upon western at least in i believe in the united states and i think asia they do 440 but in europe they do 440 or 420 425 or i don't know there's a different frequency um but it's interesting that you know what what we all agreed upon as being a standard tuning pitch <laughs> And I, I'm guessing that has something to do with how it resonates, uh, yeah. They body, definitely like you're talking about.
0: They definitely do. Um, he there's a he put up a whole website, and I think there's even an app for it now for his for what he's developed with this. But and he actually goes into the history of of uh, the standardized frequencies that we all use, and that mm-hmm. it's it's actually it's a very close to what his his uh, hypothesis was. It throughout the and throughout the generations going back to maybe uh the romantic period, there's actually um traces of history that actually you know kind of redo the frequency every cup every you know few decades, and it's always Mm. very close to like 440, 425 within that range.
1: Mm. Yeah, there, I, I remember I read a book in college. I can't remember what it was called. This was a long time ago. Um but it was about it was the, hist- the history of the equal of equal temperament. Um and how you know we we got to what what the piano is today and how the notes are stretched a little sharp or a little flat so that we can play in every key. Um and it's a really interesting history. I mean, you know people were killed over changing these kind of things because they really felt that it was a messing with pythagoras and you know god and science that you couldn't you couldn't change these things but we, right. we did and it's all accepted now
0: yeah that's pretty that's really fascinating history right there
1: yeah i gotta find that book again because i remember really loving it when i read it and it's been so long it's deserving a another another look
0: yeah when you find it let me know the title i would love to take take a look at it myself sometime
1: yeah, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's It has like a funny name, like a, not a funny name, it has a, a some sort of play on equal temperament. Hmm. Yeah, I'll All look right. it up.
0: <laughs> cool, man. So Patrick, tell me a little bit about your music history before you got in, before you started definitely in Miami.
1: Um, I, well, I've been playing music since I was, I think I started playing guitar when I was 11, and then I... I took classical guitar lessons when I was around eleven, and then I kind of stopped. I just had no interest in it. And then maybe a year or two later, I took it back up, and I got very interested in it. Um, and I grew up in a musical household. My you know my dad was a singer in a band, and my parents listened to music all the time. And one of my uncles is a singer songwriter, and. Uh, uh, just, you know, I grew up around musicians and things like that, and I had an interest uh, f- to learn guitar, so I started studying that a lot more and taking lessons, and I ended up going to, um, when I, uh, I, this town I went, I grew up in, uh, was pretty, a little bit far away from Jacksonville, Florida, um, and I wanted to go to a performing arts high school there that's a uh, It was a public school, but you'd have to audition to get in and maintain a GPA and everything. And I uh, spent a lot of time that summer getting ready, and I auditioned, and I got in, and I went to school there studying guitar and piano technique and, you know, studios. There was a studio class where we learned how to record, and there was band class and choir and everything like that. And on top of your usual... Um, you know studies of geometry and algebra English history and I did that for high school and that kind of led to also wanting to continue in college and I went to a school in New York called Brooklyn College in Brooklyn and I studied classical guitar uh, performance there for you know the four years and got a degree in that and studied all sorts of You know, ensemble playing and uh, experimental ensembles and sound design and Maxim SP and got involved in doing studio work there. There's a really great computer music program there and that's what led me into getting, uh, you know, interested in working with computers and sound design and sampling and things like that. And I mean, I've done all sorts of, after that, I, you know, worked in studios. I was an engineer and a producer at a studio in New York called Seaside Lounge and worked there for a number of years doing like just lots of records, like indie rock bands and wedding cover bands and anything and doing live sound and playing in bands. And, uh, that kind of started to fade out. And when I moved to LA in around 2009 or 10 and, uh, did some studio work here as well and i've still continued to do a little bit from time to time but uh yeah i mainly kind of took a little break from music for a while just doing mm-hmm. stuff on for fun at home and uh only in the last maybe uh, i mean i played in some bands and did did a couple albums and toured and did stuff like that but doing what i uh the kind of music that i pr- play now it's been a you know it's been off and on for about 10 years that um, doing stuff with electronic music, and the last three years, I really kind of, kind of focused and decided I wanted to do something um, specific, like release an album with this, with this new project, so it's a, uh, it's, very, you know, i study uh bass, and guitar, and singing, and piano, and pedal steel, and, you know, all sorts of, just, I'm kind of interested in all sorts of music, and instruments, and even if I can't play them well, I end up getting a banjo or a ukulele just to make sounds with.
0: Cool. <clears throat> and yeah. and so you started working on Definitely in Miami in 2017? Uh,
1: I mean, I, I think I, I was working on some of these tracks maybe 2015, 2016, just kind of casually because um, I was... I was still in bands that were pretty uh, pretty much occupying my free time um, but I, I was working on some music at home and and then I had a computer that died and I stupidly did not have a backup of it so I lost everything and had to start over which was kind of I think it was a good thing because I had a lot of tracks I had a lot of a couple songs I had you know like 50 tracks and I was just like adding and adding and adding and not not knowing <laughs> what what to do and then I lost everything and I was like well I'm not going to do that again um, and so I, I kind of reapproached the, uh the process in a more thoughtful way I guess where I just I wanted to do as much with as little as possible so I just I really limited what how many tracks I was going to do like on my album there's you know maybe the most tracks on a song is like 12 or 14 at the very most so it's sometimes as simple as just a stereo track um, or, you know, four tracks. And it just kind of made me focus more on on the process.
0: Now, in your solo album, I was curious, were, are you using an SH-2000 on that? Or, I mean, uh, an MS-2000 or SH-2000, you said?
1: SH, yeah, I have a. Okay. I I wish I had MS-2000. Those were fun. I used to have a friend that had one. Um, no, I have a, yeah, a role in SH 2000 that I picked up on tour in Seattle, uh, in probably 2014 or something like that and had it refurbished and it's really fun. I, I can't remember. It might be, it's on a, it's on a track or two. Maybe it's sampled and it's kind of messed with from there. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird instrument. It's, um, it's You know, it's all presets, and you can slightly mess with the sound, um, but I really love the bass guitar. It's, like, a just an amazing bass patch, and I think I've used that on the record, and the, the model I have has the, I guess, some of them are a select serial number range, ha- have an actual Moog ladder filter in them. Wow. Um, yeah, so... I'm not sure, I think the history is something like they ran out of parts and they bought them from Moog or they maybe got them from the same supplier and then they got sued. It was some sort of <laughs> some sort of thing and I, I didn't know that one. I, I just saw it in a pawn shop in Seattle and I thought it was really interesting looking and I just looked it up on my phone and kind of read some history of it and then the next day I went back and got it, but it was it had a lot of problems and it, I took it to a perfect circuit in Burbank to have have it fixed up but it's a really it really it really shines when you run it through effects i think it's it's a it's a real and it has it's really expressive it has um aftertouch so you can you can um route aftertouch to like you a know, vowel growl sound or volume or vibrato or pitch so it's something i like to like put through effects and then sample it and then turn it into like a polyphonic instrument that way nice yeah it's fun
0: and Tell me about some of the other uh, synths you're using on on definitely Miami. Like, you've got a, um, a Yamaha in there, too?
1: Uh, yeah, I have a Yamaha TG-33. It's a ve- vector synthesizer. Um, I use that a bit, a fair amount on the record, and I have a couple of the cards, expansion cards for it. And that one's really fun to get because uh, it has, you know, the four quadrants, so you can... Um, it has two. It has samples and uh, waveforms, so you can like, uh, with the joystick, you can you can have the same patch playing a little MIDI loop playing, and you can kind of move the joystick around to change the sound. So it's a it's kind of a way to get you get a lot out of it in that sense. Um, I use that, and um, the bread and butter of that record is uh, is the Kurzweil K2000, mm-hmm. which is kind of my main instrument that I use a lot. Um, I, I kind of got that just as... Um, I was doing some research just to get a, you know, a MIDI controller, basically, and I've read on some forum that someone, just some offhand comment, they said, well, you know, why pay 200 bucks for a brand new like, you know, Novation mini controller or something like that, Arturia, when you could just get a K2000 that is a great MIDI controller and also has amazing sounds and really deep synthesis. And so I, I kind of got into researching it and I ended up getting one of those. And it's, it's just a lot of the songs, the sound of the record, a lot of them, uh, a lot of that is based in the, the Kurtz file K 2000. I even have a song um, called passion source on the record that's named after one of the presets. That's one of my favorites. Um, so I, I use that a lot a lot of layers of that. Um, sometimes just a preset with some tweaks and sometimes like uh, sampled again into Ableton Live and messed with in a sampler instrument. Um, so I, I do that a lot where I, uh, a lot of stuff is samples. Um, you know, like one of the songs on the record is a uh, we have a teapot that has like a little harmonica when, it, when it's ready. It little makes a harmonica train mm-hmm. sound kind of thing and I sampled that into a you know handheld cassette recorder and put that into the computer and turned it into a little instrument and sampling uh, on this record sampled a bunch of you know just weird sounds and going out in the world and just capturing sounds a little zoom recorder and uh, turning them into their own little instruments and sometimes recording them out to tape to little cassette machines and running them through effects and you know it's like it's uh it's just kind of whatever grabs me i mean i have <clears throat> i have some real nice bread and butter you know scents like the Moog Sub 37 and uh, Novation base station and things like that but i don't know i just i don't really use them that often honestly uh for <laughs> what they're best for so i've kind of thought about getting rid of some of that stuff just uh, focusing on you know more of the uh, instruments that I've been making just with samples
0: right on man that I think that's a lot of I think that's where a lot of creativity really comes from is a lot of is sampling yeah and playing around with your the environment around you and turning that into your beats and your songs you know I myself have done that many times over the past two years sampling things and like i I borrowed my friend's zoom. Mm-hmm last year to go to Japan and I took it to three different cities and it was you know I got sounds I didn't expect to get yeah but it was interesting because you know I'm getting this at atmo- I was able to capture at uh, this atmosphere in, in different cities of Japan that I never would have thought of and I've been able to play and I've been pl- I haven't released anything personally but with those but the there's there are, you know small projects somewhere I have to eventually finish up but those have been really fun
1: yeah I mean it takes you know it it can take a long time because it's not only just capturing the sounds, um, but making them into instruments. It's very time consuming and, you know, you kind of have to be in that mindset. Sometimes you're in a creative mindset and you just want to turn on everything and play mm-hmm. and just enjoy making music. And sometimes you want to get in and like, Oh, let me spend three hours editing these samples and noise reducing and, mapping them <laughs> and root, putting on the root key and you know like all the real technical stuff that takes forever like I sampled a piano uh, I went on a family vacation last October and there was in this old house in Massachusetts and there was this really old piano that was somehow in tune I guess they you know the, the people that own it keep it in tune and so I w- was able to sample that whole piano and it's turned out to be one of my favorite Uh, instruments I've done because it just has this really interesting character and I recorded it on a just on my iPhone and then on a uh, I went to I didn't have anything I didn't know there was going to be a piano there to record so I went to a thrift store and just got a luck I was lucky that they had a Radio Shack like handheld dictaphone and I bought that and so I recorded the piano in that and it just has this real you know warbly messed up kind of sound, but I layer it with the iPhone recording and it kind of is a little more pristine and, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's nothing perfect, but I, I get a lot of inspiration from, uh, I don't know if you ever watch the YouTube channel for, um, Christian Henson. He's like, a—I have he's, not. He's one of the, um, creators at Spitfire audio, which is like a sampling, uh, powerhouse. I mean, they make like very high end sample libraries, but he has an amazing YouTube mm. series, uh, where he just you know talks about you know making samples from this or that, and he'll he'll even uh, give away uh, free samples that he makes, and it's just really inspirational for me to see how other people work and get ideas for creating things. And you know, I'm trying to get into contact because I just I've never really used that before, but it seems like a lot of samplers, a lot of people that you know create samples um, use
0: co- contact. What's contact? I haven't, I don't know about contact.
1: Uh, contact is an instrument, uh, from native instruments. So, uh, you know, native instruments is a, uh, hardware, yeah. you know, MIDI controller kind of company, but they make a lot of software and contact is there. It's I, I mean, I guess it's their sample player instrument host. So you can host plugins in it, host samples. And, uh, a lot of people use that, so there's a there's a lot of communities out there. Of people that create samples and then share them, where you can just download their contact library, um, you know, which is fun to, because sometimes people create really interesting sounds that they're you know you can just download and use yourself. Um, but it's always fun to do it. Create your own because it's it's there's a personal relationship. And on on my record, a lot of the samples they do have like really direct uh, personal reasons for them them being included more than just like oh it's a cool sound it's like oh i intentionally sampled this sound because of something related to what i was you know feeling on that song
0: absolutely now, that's one of the greatest things about sampling is the freedom of expression that you're not get that you're able to create something that's unique to your own music yeah
1: yeah. And even just sampling your own instruments, you know, like I, one of these days I have a, a pedal steel that I play and I've been thinking for a, a while about really doing like a deep sample of it, you know, like not maybe not every string or every fret, but, you know, maybe every doing every third, uh, like every string, but doing uh, uh, every third note and doing it with and without a volume pedal just to... I don't know, it was was—it's—it would be a monumental task, but it just would be so fun to be able to play the pedal steel in ways that you couldn't play the pedal steel <laughs> if uh, if you yeah. were going to play it. Like, you know, you can't have, the bar only goes on one, it's like a bar chord is only on one fret at a time, but if you could play like a huge spread of notes with the volume pedal and you know it would just be really fun but mm. it's just a big project
0: yeah it definitely is but it would be pretty fascinating to be able to you know sample it so you could actually make a chord out of it yeah exactly yeah
1: and have different effects on different parts and you know yeah you could make a whole track just a whole album of that
0: i think oh absolutely now with definitely miami are you playing live anywhere uh no it's it's kind of just like
1: a project bedroom project I guess. Uh I don't really know if I could even play live with it the way the record was made it it's it's very um you know it's not like I had a sequencer going and I you know played kind of parts simultaneously it's it's it was very one track at a time made. So if I if I played out it would probably just be like a some sort of Minimal recreation of it, but it but in my mind, I'm like, oh, it would just be like playing back tracks, and that's kind of boring. (laughs) Um, but I have a lot of interest in doing, um, more than playing live, like doing some sort of you know, like a I've always really enjoyed site specific or interactive installation kind of pieces. And if I did something, I would probably do it like that, where it was just. I had an idea of, you know, it's just, it's a playing in a room and there's like different areas where you can go and interact with parts of the music, but, you know, it's, for for now I'm happy just, just working on music at home.
0: Hmm, that's cool, yeah. man. Have you been getting out to any uh, live gigs, like uh, like synth meetups, anything like that in LA?
1: Um, A little bit. I mean, the synthplex was was fun and nam i went to nam this year and that was that was fun there was a bunch of people there with you know doing these kind of doing synth music um i go to zebulon a bit which is a venue here in town um and i've i've gone to a couple uh in stores at various record shops that were having like a you know a tape artist playing or things like that um hmm. i'm not I guess I'm just not really like connected with a lot of people out here that are doing electronic music. Um, But uh, I would like to be connected more. (laughs) Um, I think everyone's, you know, there's definitely like little scenes out here. Uh, Like if you go to, there's a great venue called the handbag factory in downtown LA that I went to uh, uh, their anniversary party a couple weeks ago. And it was all, I mean, it was all just like noise. I used to be really into making noise music a long time ago. And I used to play shows with all that. (laughs) It had been a really long time since I've been to a concert like that. And it was, it was really fun because it's just so visceral. It's just like, it was just so loud. And like, you could just feel your body shaking these low rumbles. Um, (laughs) And very different from what I do. I mean, I'm I'm not, I don't really, I don't make noise. Uh. I'm I'm not really interested in that, but I I appreciate that music and I really enjoy watching it. And there's some great artists here that I follow. You know, just on like social media, and I'll I'll try to catch them um, when I can. But, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of stuff. Ha- I know that they have the modular on the spot here, but I'm not like a modular person. So, mm-hmm. um, but I've always wanted to go to that. It's it's it seems really fun
0: yeah I've heard a lot about Mojo on the spot happening in most mostly Seattle and Portland, but I haven't had a chance to check them out myself yet either
1: yeah I think they're in a lot they of do cities sound like a but lot of fun it's like it's one of those things I think that's they uh you know they obviously are probably illegally doing these, so i don't I don't know <laughs> if they promote them all the time or if it's just like the day of and so a lot of times you don't hear about them um,
0: right, yeah, a lot of busking,
1: yeah. Like I think the one in LA, they do it a lot around along the LA River, um, on the banks there. Which I I'm guessing you can just do that, but it's probably they don't want to get too much attention on it.
0: Yeah, up in up here in San Francisco, um, there's and within the Bay Area, there's quite a few electronic shows, the live shows that you can go to on a monthly basis now, and they're all like set up so that they're. They are legal. Like there's Resident Frequencies in Oakland, which is an you know, electronic sh- uh, meetup. That if you, you want to go play, you're allowed to go sign up and play that night between like six and ten p.m. Mm. Depending on how many people sign up, they can probably get almost everybody in there, and that's a really that's a that's been a really cool show that's been going on for over a year now, and they do it on the first Sunday of the mo- of the, every month, and then in San Francisco, we've got Resident where you sign up and they only have maybe like six people play, but they always, but, and now at all, at all these modules, sh- these two modular shows particularly, which are, you know, pretty, which were made by two friends, uh, they always have uh, modular video going on at the same time. Guys like, uh, you know, Bill Latrosky, in, you know, I think it was Interactive Avocado was one of the guys mm. that's Kit. Yeah, it's, it's always like a phenomenal thing because the video guys are being inspired by the music that's happening and, the, and for the visuals that they produce. And it's really it's a really fascinating thing. Even my friend, a uh, friend of mine and I, uh, Rich Hogben, we, this last month, we put together our our own uh, modular show where I booked the, the, the artist to perform and he does AV. And we've done one show so far, and our show is called Peaked, uh, P I Q U E D, mm. and I've got the next. We're doing another show next week, Wednesday, at at uh, here in San Francisco, and, and I've got the next three months lined up with uh, you know featured artists. So that, that's a cool thing that we've started. You know, it's and it's you know a pleasure for me to be, be able to you know call up my friends and say Hey, you want to come play? Yeah. And so far, you know, everyone's like, Yeah, that'd be great. And the first one was a lot of fun. There was like maybe like 10 people that showed up, but you know, either way we, we still had a blast doing it. Yeah. And um, So if of some, you know, if, uh, down the road, Patrick, if you're ever in San Francisco, man, you let me know. I can always, you know, if you ever want to play, we can always set you up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more than used to playing to 10 people. So that, that <laughs> doesn't, um, that doesn't bother me. Uh, I, I used to do a lot of, stuff in shows in new york with visuals and there used to be some great software that was maybe like a max msp related software um a lot of i i mean when i lived in new york in the early 2000s though it was the kind of the height of people sitting on stage with their laptop you know performing it was like mm-hmm. laptop like, sure, those know? days. and like now if you do that you'd be like thrown out as you know how dare you this is that's not real music uh, you can't have a laptop anymore you gotta have you know a yeah. cassette a track and modular only um to be taken seriously <laughs> not hating on any of it but i just think it's interesting how things change and uh i used to go to a lot of shows and take part in shows where people would do really interesting things with you know modulating uh, the visuals from an audio input source and using live video with like really crappy um, like USB cameras and you like, like put it in the kick drum and it would be like, like distorting and just, it would be triggering a different video and layers and filters. Yeah. It was just like, it's, it's obviously gotten a lot. It's a lot better what people can do now. And people are doing like analogs of that where I, I've, I played in, I played a show one time where these people were doing, they had overhead projectors, like the kind you'd see when you were a kid, um, in school with the little, you know, plate and a light showing through. And they would have like bowls of water with like food coloring and gel inside of them. And like creating these like just crazy (laughs) psychedelic, And it was all, and they would be doing it with their hands and like how they held the bowl. And so it wasn't with any computers. Um, And it just was really cool. Uh, And there was a place called, I don't even know if it's still there, but in New York, there was a place called Monkey Town that was, it was, it had a performance room. It was like a bar restaurant and in the back there was a performance room. It was just a box and every wall was um, a surface to project on. And there was projectors pointing at every of them. And so you'd play a show in there and there would just be like, you'd be surrounded um, with visuals And there was all these, like, pillows and things you could lay on the ground. It was just an amazing space for um, going to listen to music and see visuals and also perform. But, uh, yeah, it just feels like a lifetime ago, but uh, I I would like to do more stuff like that again. Um, So, yeah, if I'm ever up there. (laughs) I have some friends up in San Francisco that we visit from time to time. Um,
0: So I'll I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah, man, that'd be cool. Um so with so how have you, are you planning another album are you working on anything else at the at the moment with uh Diff of Miami or another project you got going on
1: Yeah yeah I'm I'm, I'm always kind of working on on music uh right now I have I have like on on the first album I I was very focused and that I I I wanted to make myself focus on one piece at a time so I I only worked on one um, song at a time and so that would mean usually it was like a month and a half or two months on one piece of music and I just like made it got really boring you know Uh, (laughs) I wanted to do other things but I was just like I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna move on to something else until I finish one idea and because I think a lot of I mean I suffer from what a lot of people I think suffer with a lot of people that are creating music or anything it's just you get you kind of get distracted with life and this and that, and you just you know you start working on one thing and you don't finish it, and then you do another thing and you don't finish it, and uh, I kind of had a lot of those in my life. I've had a lot of successes of things that I've done and and saw through, but I, I some of the ones that didn't make it, I kind of just have this guilt over them, and so I was very considerate about considerate about uh, really finishing and focusing on on one piece at a time. But now I've kind of gone back to. Uh, I have like four or five tracks I'm working on that some of them are, I'm just like, what is this? It's just two bars over and over, just looping. And then some are, some <laughs> are just, you know, they started one way and uh, turning in other things. There was, I think there's going to be some vocals on this one, not necessarily singing, but I've been sampling some. Uh, um, I have a track that I don't know if I'm going to actually be able to include it because it, it's a, uh, do you know the, the, um, the author Raymond Carver He's a short story I, writer. Um, I don't. He, uh, he, he's a, I think he lived in California. He's an amazing short story writer. And, uh, there's a piece of his that I think it's the only time he read it. And it's like, he's in a hotel, um, sitting outside and you can hear like cicadas in the background. And I just really loved the way he was speaking and and this this the the environment that the recording was in just was super i just when you listen to it it just feels like you're right there and and it kind of inspired a piece of music so i've i've been messing around with that but i might take out his vocal his his uh speech part it's just like a kind of chopped up um, some parts of the poem yeah. as he's reading it so I've been playing a lot of bass um, on this record, a lot of pedal steel, um, more of the K two thousand, and then like I said, just a lot of a lot of samples um, that I've collected, and yeah, I'm just not really sure where it's going right now, what this, what the uh, what the music is really going to be like, um, but I I kind of had an idea of recently of just doing a whole record on pedal steel um, with. You know, a lot of effects and kind of samples of it and layers. But I don't know if that would be under the same project. I don't know. It's always it seems so weird to just be concerned with this stuff when you're just releasing music for fun and you're you're lucky if uh, you can sell fifty cassettes and you know. But I mean, it's this is why I do it. It's for me. It's the process. It's it's about getting into having the time to be creative and um you know from the stresses of life and everything to it's kind of my sanctuary to be able to make music and and if anybody likes it that's just amazing so
0: <laughs> yeah i'm right there with you with you know the whole process of it because it to me it's it, it's almost a form it really is a form of meditation for mm-hmm. me to just be in my own home studio and write the music i want to write yeah it's just a pleasure sometimes just to jam by yourself and listen to those beautiful synths you have at home yeah i mean
1: that's i think that's why i mean that's i think that's why we all do it just to it's there's something about that process of sitting there and just sometimes you just hit one note and it's just you hear this you're just inspired to to go to go into it and then you know an hour later you you don't know what happened to your time um, and then sometimes it's grueling, and ten minutes later you're like, "Oh my god, I hate this!" Like, it's uh, I have I really kind of oscillate in that world a lot. Um, I think sometimes I'm just so tired at the end of the day. Like when I made this record, the first record, um, I I pretty much only had time, um, from you know ten o'clock at night to you know one thirty two in the morning. That was like the only time I had. And I was in this little tiny closet. Wow. So that whole record was made late at night. And I think that that being so tired and and uh, the things I was going through and the having to do everything on headphones and quietly, it was just, I think it just really affected the record. And I have a, diff, a little bit of a different uh, work environment now and lifestyle. So... Um, I don't know if that's going to really change things, but uh, I I, I kind of wish I could get on like a proce- uh, a time schedule when I like woke up really early because I used to in college I used to practice in the morning like get up at like five a.m. and practice for a few hours before school, and I really liked that kind of monk monastic um, lifestyle of waking up when it's like really dark and you just kind of it's so, it's the world is just calm and and there's just like a stillness. I really like that time of day and I think I find I find myself being most creative late at night just when it feels calm like that.
0: I I can relate to working in the morning a lot cuz yeah. over the past 2 years when I got back into music in late 2016 and into 2017 I had a lot of t- well, I've always been a morning person and so waking up you know, I had some, I had uh, about five months off of work for some medical issues and I used my, I used playing music as a way uh, to help myself heal without having to, to move around too mm. much and waking up early, I'll, you know, I would wake up at like three or four in the morning sometimes and be just wide awake. So I would just go play and, and, and until the sun rose up yeah. and I, you know, I I recorded everything and. You know, I'll listen back to some of those things, and and a lot of the album that I did write is that I put out earlier this year is was written in those early hours, and it's definitely something that I agree with, where there's something beautiful about how quiet the world is before it wakes up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, with uh, with sorry, I was curious about your album with marketing and selling the cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. How has that been going for you? Um,
1: it's been. It's. I mean, it's. I don't have anything to compare it to. I've never, any record I've ever put out, I've been a part of a band and some of those records involved, you know, labels and we had publicists and people that were responsible for getting the name out there and doing stuff like that. Um, and this is the first time I've kind of, I mean, I've I've self-released albums with other bands that, you know, we just made like cd and we would, you know, hand draw all the artwork and make a hundred, hundred CDRs or something. And this is the first time I've done something on my own where I manufactured a cassette and, you know, worked with a designer and mastering people and stuff like that. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I think it's done well, as well as I could hope. I mean, I, I made a hundred cassettes I've sold through. I mean, I given away a bunch and sold, through, sold a bunch, but I don't know, maybe there's 15 left. Twenty, and uh, pretty good. I I learned learned how to do all the. Um, I mean, I work at a in the music. I work in a music business. I work at a record label, so I kind of know a lot of this stuff. I know how to I know how to manufacture and deal with all that stuff. And I've never done the whole digital realm um, of getting your music on Spotify and Amazon and Apple Music. So I I did that for, on my own, and <clears throat> that was a learning process. And <laughs> for sure and you know Bandcamp putting it up there I mean it's definitely there's a lot of stuff you can do these days I, I think we all find out a lot of, about music musicians that we like through Instagram or Twitter and we just you know follow them and then they might oh I made an album here's a cassette and it's $10 it's I mean who's if, if you like someone's music you've been following for two years on Instagram and they make a cassette and it's only $10 you're gonna buy it so it's yeah. a great way to. Um, I mean, I've traded cassettes with a lot of people. Um, there were a couple of artists that I really liked. There's um, there's this, there's this uh, musician uh, goes by the name Jogging House in uh, Germany, and he has a record label called Seal or S E I L, and I like a lot of the records cassettes he puts out. And so I just wrote him on Instagram. I said, "Hey, I really like what you do, and I I would like to send you my album when it comes out, just as a." you know, thank you for your music, and I wanted to send you a, as a thank you, and I sent it to him, and I guess he, he really, he wrote me back, and he said, I really like this, and he posted a photo of it on his social, on his Instagram account, and like that day, you know, I got, you know, 30 followers, and people were, you know, buying the, the tape, and writing nice comments, and, and I mean, that sort of thing is, I guess, what you would call marketing, in a way, how these things work, and yeah, it was is. just, it wasn't It was just kind of an organic thing, um, that I just really love. Like there's another artist named R Benny who's a Bay area. Um,
0: yeah. uh, I, I've run into him once in a while. Yeah. I,
1: I really like his music and I think he's really amazing. And I, same deal. I just wrote him and said, I'd love to send you a cassette. We, so we trade, we traded some tapes. It's like, you know, it's like when I was in punk bands when I was a kid, you know, you trade tapes, um, and that it's just such a grasswork grassroots um, network right now. There's so many people all over the world, like on YouTube, posting videos and Instagram, that you would never have heard about without those platforms. And so I just think it's a we're we're kind of really lucky right now with how easily you can share your music and discover new music. And you know, for for people like us, you know, I'm I'm sure you you would agree it's not. No one's going to make any money on this. It's not really about that. It's just about, um, I mean, hopefully you break even or you don't lose too much money. Um, but uh, to me, it's just it's just about making new friends and connecting with people and um, just supporting artists. So I, I buy a lot of cassettes on Bandcamp. And, um, you know, I just really enjoy that, that part. I, I was actually, I, ch- I checked out your album and it, I really enjoyed it as well. But you didn't make a cassette. Did you? Or you just, did you? What's did you that? make a cassette of it? Yes, I did. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, yeah I, it's I'm selling it on Bandcamp. Oh, okay. I got plenty. If you want, to, if you want one, <laughs>
1: yeah, we could do a trade. Sure. Um, yeah, I was listening to that. Uh, it's 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 very it's very cool.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you listened to it. Yeah. I I'm not sure what if you know I know my stuff's a bit more gritty here and there compared to, you know, your style. So, I know that not everyone's going to be into you know what i'm what the music i wrote is. a lot of my influences are very industrial and loud yeah but you know not everything is you know not every track was abrasive
1: yeah no no i mean i i th- i i think if you just heard my music you would think that that's all i maybe all i listen to um but i listen to a lot of really delicate ambient music but i've i also you know listen to industrials i've grew up on that stuff i mean like uh front 242 and you know kmfdm and all those kind of bands excellent thrill kill cold i love all that stuff um i i i you know i listen to a lot of punk and you know all sorts of jazz it's not it's just like uh just when i sit down i just happen to make music that sounds like this right now and uh that's the way it is um but i i I love i love all kinds of music and i'm always excited to to find new new music and have stuff be you know sent my way it's always fun to check it out
0: what i'm curious what has uh influenced you over the years with with your music and how you write like have there been any um have there been any Things that have happened to you uh, you know negative or positive that have influenced your, your music writing
1: um you mean beyond just like uh, other music that i was inspired by you mean like actual life circumstances or yeah. Oh, okay yeah
0: like even like you know living situations and th- things like that like i just you know for example i i i, I spoke to uh this lady uh uh, Coralie, who plays theremin in Switzerland, and she was pregnant at the time when she and I interviewed. I think she still is pregnant right now, but um, in th- she went into this beautiful uh explanation of what it's like to be pregnant and play a live show. Mm. And I was, I was, I was, I couldn't. I had no idea how to respond to it. It was such an interesting concept to mm.
1: me. Yeah, I have. You know, it's funny i have a fr- we have a friend uh my wife's really good friends a uh, woman named layla mccullough uh, who's a musician in new orleans she's has one child that she's toured all over the world with and played shows and then she had twins and when she was pregnant with twins she was also like touring and playing shows and then after they were born like maybe a month later she was going to like france for a show and I mean, we're talking to her, it's, I saw her at, I was at South by Southwest this year, and I went to a couple of shows she played, and she was, I was, she was just delirious, because they're still infants, (laughs) and she's just touring constantly, so yeah, I imagine that's really intense. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I think in the last few years, I mean, when I was living in New York, it was kind of a carefree, Lifestyle, you know, just going to school and working and playing music and going to shows and having fun. Um, yeah, I think when the older I've gotten this. Situations we've been in and um, I mean, during the making of this record, it pretty much. Th- I mean, the reason why I was working a lot so late, we uh, my wife and I took care of her mother for um, for about eight, eight years And so we, you know, um, I worked. I would work every day and come home at night, and you know, help with her mom and get her to bed and everything. And then we would clean the house and make dinner and eat dinner at like nine thirty, ten o'clock. And then, if I had any energy left, I would try to be creative because it was a it was a therapeutic thing to to give me something to do that wasn't my day to day everything. It was just a you know a little me time sort of deal and uh yeah i uh so i i this record was made during that the last you know year and a half of her life and taking care of her and so i this record definitely was um i don't think it would have come out the same way and i think that that uh the the process of being a caregiver for so long uh made made me really um appreciate the time that we get for ourselves and for the people that we have around us and that we share our lives with and um, to not take things for granted and to um, not be kind of frivolous with your time and so I, I that that's kind of what led to the being really focused on you know doing one track at a time and keeping them not not just keep adding parts and parts and parts, just keeping it, what, like, what do you really want to say with this? I, you know, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I want to be very direct with what I'm trying to do. And that was, you know, informed by what we were going through and being caregivers. Um, And yeah, it was, it it was a, it was a really hard, sad time, uh, to be honest. And I, you know, she passed away, like, right before I finished the record, and then I had a, um, I took a little break, and I kind of did one last piece, and, um, you know, I, it, it was a real, it kind of had a real fire in me to, to do something, to get this out, and to be productive, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was very, uh, very influenced by that time, and I think now, you know, I think there's still some of that in there in, in my head that I'm still working through and creatively it's still coming out and, and, uh, it's still being expressed, but, um, you know, there's definitely been, you know, experiences where meeting certain people in your life that maybe turned you on to, uh, you know, different kinds of music or, just they had a certain energy that was inspiring and fun that that led me to, you know, explore different creative possibilities. And, uh, you know, I remember one time I went to a show in New York and uh, I was playing at it and it was, um, there's this New York composer named Phil Niblock who did a lot of like video and he was an experimental composer. I'm not sure if he's still alive, but uh, he might be he uh he had this space where they had shows and i remember going to his loft and i was playing with a friend of mine later that night and we were it was a very experimental show i mean it was like turntable and like you know contact mic like that was the whole instrument list and i walked in and i and my friend aaron was playing with someone else and he was just hitting a hammer on the floor just like like <laughs> rolling like like on his hands and knees kind of walking and just tapping in this big reverberant space and it was just so it was just it was so bizarre and just sound but it sounded really interesting and you know I could see him being very considerate with every tap and where he was tapping on the floor and I mean things like that were when, when I was really young seeing shows like that really kind of opened up my mind and you know thinking of how to interact with spaces and and an audience and, and and what you're doing was you know different than just playing in a band which is what i knew up to then
0: definitely yeah. well that's that's a very cool experience to get that you know to be to see that sort of show at a at a young age where it will leave an impression on you
1: yeah yeah there's there was definitely a lot of um there was this band called Taliban at the same time that like, I don't know, I I went to some house show and it was like Animal Collective and some other like Taliban and some other, you know, like someone from like Black Dice or something probably doing like a noise set and just going to seeing shows like that. Or there were so many weird warehouse spaces in New York at the time. And, you know, I, I at the time I felt like kind of like a outsider. I didn't, I feel like I, you know, all these people probably thought I was a, some nerdy kid or something, but... Um I it was it really changed me, you know, going and seeing shows like that and seeing, you know, someone playing like with just a a mixer and a bunch of pedals making this crazy noise and like kids were like like a mosh pit in front of it, you know, freaking out and it was just you know, ear bleeding loud and I was like, Oh wow, this is this is different. Um that was really fun.
0: Working with uh, other musicians and working in the music industry has tell me a little bit about those those experiences and how that what uh you've really come out of with with playing with other in other ba- in bands and also working in the music industry working for labels
1: yeah work i mean i've always when i was a kid i was i had my first band when i was in like 7th grade and it was just you know the kind of kids we were, it just gave us something to do. It was, you know, uh, we, we had nothing else to do. I grew up in a really small town and skateboard and stuff like that. And it was just, you're all hanging out together and enjoy music and want to write songs. And that was a really important, like bonding, um, period to, to just kind of spend all your time with this group of people and we played music together through high school. And, um, so being in a band was always really great. And, you know, I think the the process of writing together and, you know, that someone else can have a better, the best idea. You might start with an idea and you show it to someone and, and they improve upon it and make it better, make it something that wasn't originally like that's, that's a great process. And, it's, it's a lot different when you make music by yourself, like I'm doing now, Um, it's just, you know, you're, like, having conversations with yourself sometimes, like, is this good, does this, is this, is this boring, should I change now, like, and when you're, like, working with bands, and I've produced a couple, you know, some bands and stuff, and, you know, it's when, when you're just in the producer chair, and you can say, like, guys, like, this, you got to add something to this part or this is the best part of the song you got to you got to highlight that or um i really like being in that role because it's uh it, you're, you don't you're not directly tied to it and you can kind of have an outsider's view in a way but then your ultimate goal is to make the song as best as it can be and that's just like i really enjoy doing that um and it's just different from working by yourself But, uh, and then from the, working in the industry, you know, I've, I've, I work at a record label called Light in the Attic. It's a reissue label. And um, I'm the production manager. So I, you know, I work with the designers and audio mastering and all the manufacturing and work, you know, just kind of produce a lot of the reissues and with, with the, with other people at the label. And that's a fun, it's, it's more of a curatorial side. You know, we work on, we do some compilations and, it's kind of like creating a mixtape but in a more professional way um where you're doing liner notes and licensing everything and working with marketing and press people and you know it's just a it's a it's just a different part of what what i what i usually do you know
0: yeah All right, well thank you um i think we're about getting close to wrapping it up yeah. uh, were there any other uh comments you wanted to make that we didn't get to that particular subject
1: uh no i mean i i just thought, thought it was nice just to chat with someone about you know all this stuff and what's going on and who's making music where and how you find it and yeah i just i would i would encourage people to and, and yourself to check out some of these artists on youtube that put up videos about you know their different creative processes like christian henson that i mentioned before and heinbach um he's great just really you yeah. know yeah heinbach. yeah heinbach's great I, I i think uh andrew wong is great um you know uh, amulets puts up interesting videos with examples and Scott Campbell and jogging house I mentioned. There's a lot there's just so many amazing creators out there that I just you know you just get inspired by seeing what other people are doing. Not not, not necessarily like you watch it and you're like, Oh, I'm just gonna do that exactly, but you're like, Oh, I see how they use this sample or how they just took jelly beans. Like I think, you know, Andrew Wong made a video where he like made music with just jelly beans and you know, <laughs> it's just like he's super creative. Um his process is really interesting. And yeah, I just, I just think it's a, uh, it's like the, where we have, we yeah. have so much access to interesting uh, creators now. So I just like to share those yeah, Absolutely, when I, when I find them.
0: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, running, you know, going through social media just, and just listening, especially on Instagram a lot yeah. on, you know, with who's putting what out, finding new musicians out there and, checking out what they're doing there's almost you know once a week i'll probably find somebody i've never heard of that i want that i'll start following and there's and there's it's an endless amount of people out there creating interesting music that's not that's technically not mainstream yeah but it's really fun fantastic audio that is not being heard anywhere else or not being distributed as much as maybe it could be
1: yeah yeah i mean that was and That's uh, very true. It's the only way to hear it is on a one-minute Instagram video. A lot of times,
0: <laughs> yeah, and even myself have you know put a lot of work into those one-minute <laughs> videos here over the years. And I've I was looking at your YouTube channel before we before we cha- uh, started this call, and you've got two uh, videos up there right now. I think.
1: Yeah, I just I. I I'm not trying to be a YouTube creator. Uh, I just have made (laughs) um, a couple videos and yeah, I I just, I having made a couple videos and when I post to my own Instagram with, it's just, there's just so many problems you deal with like, Oh, the audio is cutting out or this is happening. And so many times I just get frustrated. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to like make music and not, not share it too much because <laughs> uh, that's just like a different, that's such a involved process. But uh, I have so much respect for people that make videos that look really great like that. But um, that's just, I just don't have the energy for it personally. But uh, but yeah, I have yeah. put up a couple of videos on YouTube um, There were just things that I've always wanted to do and just thought I'd film it. I, I would love to do more of showing some of the um, kind of quirky things that I've done. Just as because I've learned so much from other people or gotten creative ideas and I've developed a lot of my own and you know, maybe one day I'll make some videos that show some of those techniques.
0: That'd be cool, man. That'd be very cool. Well, Patrick, I want to thank you again for doing my podcast North Beats. It's been a lot of fun, man.
1: Yeah, thank thank you.
0: Patrick, thank you so much, man. You have a good night. It's great talking right, to you. All right,
1: thanks, Corey. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Hey, bye.